Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. For the past year, a number of you have been participating in the Dollar a Day Project, and the purpose was to bring the gospel to an unreached people group in India. Now, these are people who have never before heard the name of Jesus. And the specific group that you're reaching is the Munda Santhori Sayora tribals in the state of Odisha in India. I want to just give background for a minute of what life was like for these people before ministry started because of you over a little year ago. They lived near a jungle. They hunted wild animals for food such as pigs, rats, and cats. That's enough to stop you right there. They suffer from diseases due to drinking contaminated water. They live in one-room huts. There's no electricity, toilets, or proper roads into the villages. Their surroundings are dirty. They work hard but are cheated by landlords. Women are dominated by men and eat food after the men are finished. I just want you to think about that. If the women have it bad here, you don't get to eat till the men are finished. Girls are married at puberty. They're staunch worshipers of the sun, moon, and trees. They practice animal sacrifice. And the literacy rate when we started over a year ago was 18%. We have a three-year strategy for reaching unreached people groups. The first year, we conduct Bible-based literacy classes for 450 adults. The second year, we train 12 church planters to begin working and planting churches And the third year, we reach out to families. We have vacation Bible school for 1,000 children, and then literacy classes for 300 more adults. Now, the first year has just been completed, and I want to give you a report on what's happened. But I want to remind you that in this first year of literacy classes, people just don't learn to read and write. But as they practice their reading, they learn about basic health and personal hygiene, like how to keep your water body clean so you don't get sick, nutrition and proper diet, how to grow green vegetables in your garden and eat more nutritiously, community sanitation, don't leave puddles of water lying around that become stagnant and mosquitoes breed and give malaria and so forth. Self-help skills, the people that are unreached are also exceedingly poor. And we teach them some self-help skills so they can make more money to support their family, like how to make tooth powder or how to make soap powder or how to start a little sewing business, how to start a little fruit stand. These things will really help them, but it's teaching them to work. It's not receiving handouts like we do in America. And so also, by the way, we teach them about government programs for the poor. India has some very good government programs for the poor, but if you're illiterate, you, you don't know about them. So this first year of our three-year strategy has been completed, and I'm excited to share with you the results that have happened, actually because of you making this occur. In the first year, 450 adults were enrolled in the literacy classes. There's 450 who were enrolled. 427 completed the classes. That's 95%. Why did so many complete the classes? 
because it was really helping them. And they were really finding help. And to keep in mind, these literacy classes are held at night. They've worked all, all day in the fields. And so to have that kind of a completion rate is really wonderful, and we're thankful for that. 232 are reading with fluency. The first book they ever get when they graduate from the literacy class is their own copy of the Bible. And so 203 are now reading their word, the, the word of God regularly. There are 162 who've said they will come each one, teach one teacher, so they will get a set of primers and they'll teach someone else to read, more than likely a family member. 203 are now taking baths regularly and wearing clean clothes. 166 are eating a nutritional diet. 139 are paying attention to sanitation. And 85, village cleanliness. Average daily wages have really doubled. Like I say, they're maybe out in the fields working all day, maybe 2 or $3 a day. So the average daily wages have doubled. 36 have started vegetable fruit stands. 33 have started a tailing business. And 118 women have started generating income. Socially speaking, 97 have stopped child marriage. It's an awful practice out in the villages in India where young girls are given to older men. They just have a horrible life. And so you have actually spared 97 girls from entering into that. That's very significant. 69 have stopped dowry. 42 have stopped drinking. Alcoholism is a real problem in the villages. They make their own brew and the men spend the little bit of money they have on the alcohol, and then they get intoxicated and don't treat their wives well. It's, it's a terrible thing. So 48 stopping drinking alcohol is really significant, and 59 have stopped smoking. Now, this is the most important result that I could share with you. Of the 450 who went through the classes, and keep in mind, they're coming to these classes to learn to read and write. They're not coming to learn about Jesus. They learn about Jesus, but that's not what they're coming for. 163 have made decisions for Christ. 54 have been baptized. And 206 are attending what we call witnessing prayer cells. They're little house Bible study groups that that eventually can form into churches. So we are really thrilled with the first year results. 163 decisions for Christ. Now, a few months ago... A few months ago, the second year has started where we trained 12 church planters. And I'll be sharing a plaque with you, Eric, for the church, a prayer plaque to give you a few minutes. But I want to say a few words about these church planters. The church planters that come to these classes, they're not just coming to work for a year. When they come to our church planting school, They are making a commitment for a lifetime of ministry. The rest of their lives, they want to serve God full time. They know that they're not getting a salary. They're going to be self-supporting. And I think this is why we get the cream of the crop. They aren't looking for some support. They're serving God out of a compulsion by the Spirit of God to do so. And they're depending upon God within India to raise the funding needed that they can continue. And then very significant is the fact that we don't train what I call Lone Ranger church planters. They come to us under the authority of a mother church. And after this first year of training, 
They go back to being under the authority of the mother church. That means they don't answer to us. They answer to that mother church. And I think there's tremendous wisdom in having that way because nothing is better than something that is locally owned. You know what I'm saying? And so we're glad for that. The only textbook in the church planting school is the Bible. That's unusual in this day and age. But they have 100 hours of Bible concentrating on evangelism the first month. Then they go out in the villages and visit homes and work for three months. Then the fifth month, they have 100 more hours of Bible, this time in the area of discipleship. Then they go out in the villages, visit homes, work for three more months. Then the ninth month, they have 100 hours of Bible on what the church is all about. And then they go back to the villages, visit homes for the next three months. I want to give you an idea how, to me, what they learn is much better than you get in any seminary here. I'm a graduate of a seminary, and believe me, what they're getting in India is so much better because they're getting the Word of God. But to give you an idea of, of, of how this goes, the first 10 hours in evangelism is how to study the Bible. I, I, yeah, we have up here the first 100 hours. This is what to get the first month. And you can see the different subjects. But the first 10 hours are how to study the Bible. And this is what they get. Devotional Bible study, study for Bible knowledge, Bible study by paragraph, Bible study by verse, Bible study by book, Bible study by words, Bible study by topic, and so forth. And then the second 10 hours, you can move to the next frame. The second 10 hours, you can move to the next frame, I think. Yeah, okay. The second 10 hours is knowing God's Word, how God's Word came to us what God's Word does, how we benefit from God's Word, and so forth, beginning the new life, the need for the new life, the way to the new life, results of the new life, assurance of the new life, then growing in the new life, Bible study, prayer, stewardship, worship, participating in the local church, sharing your faith, and walking in the Spirit. These are just the first 20 hours of 300 hours that they get. I want to give you an idea for that. What I would want to share with you is the dedication of these church planters to me is just incredible. As I said, they are out under the authority of the mother church after the first year, so we don't really track them. Now, I first went to India. I'm going to share this briefly. I hope, hope I'm going to be brief. I first went to India in 1980. And to make a long story short, man, did I get sick. I had food poisoning. I thought I was going to die. The only reason I didn't want to die is I didn't want to die in India. And so I recovered and I came home. But I never wanted to see India again. 1980. 1985, my boss said, we're starting a church planting school. You need to be exposed to it. You need to see it. You need to go back to India. I said, I'm not going. He said, you either go or you quit. And I remember getting on the plane in New York to go back and sitting beside him. I was shaking like this. I so I didn't want to go back there and get sick again. It was awful. But I went. Three weeks taught the church place. Well, never was sick the whole time. It was just fine. That was 1985. In 2004, I got married. 
Well, I wanted my wife to see some of the work in India. So in 2005, we went to India. And we took a train up to Angol and Andhra Pradesh. And we had a meeting that evening. But they said, you've got some free time in the, mo- in the daytime. How would you like to meet two of the church planters who've been tre- previously trained and hear their testimonies? And we thought that'd be good. So we went to this one spot and we heard the church planter. And he had started a church. It was good. Then we went to the second church planter. And where he was, where he was located, and he said, my name is John Mark, and he said, I was trained in 1985. I thought, 1985, that's the year I was there. We had three classes of 12 church planters in a class. I wonder if he was in my class. He went on to say, in 20 years now, I have 11 churches started, and 1,000 people have made decisions for Christ. I was really impressed. And so after his sharing, I went up to him and I said, see, in my class, there was an older fellow by the name of Lazarus. That's what he named himself. And he was quite up in years. And the only way I knew that John Mark was in my class, I said, was there an old man in your, in the class, your class by the name of Lazarus? He said, yes. I said, you were in my class that I taught 20 years ago. And what you've done is fantastic. And he was so sincere. He said, please pray that God will raise up more Timothys. I want to take 10,000 souls to heaven when I die. That was his prayer. Now, keep in mind, this meeting was not arranged. Nobody knew I taught John Mark 20 years ago except God. And that was an indication to me this program is really working. To give you an idea of the kind of dedication church planters are, I'll share one more thing with you. There's a church planter we work with, we work with for years by the name of John Selvaraj, and Lane and I have met him personally. We've been to his ministry. But we heard him share his testimony at the 60th anniversary of Bill Scott being a missionary in India for 60 years. And this is what he said. He said, I was led, led to minister in Tindavadam in Tamil Nadu in 1976. The area had about 200,000 people, and it was about 97% Hindu. He said, when I first went to Tindavanam, no one would offer me hospitality. No one would even rent a room to me because I was a Christian. So he said, the first two months, I slept on the railway station platform with the gypsies. Now I want to ask you a question. How would you like to start serving God and the first two months have no bed? I wouldn't like that. The dedication of these church planners, the people who come forth that God raised up is really incredible. And then he said, I suffered a lot the first 10 years. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know about you, but I don't like to suffer for 10 minutes. You know, you get a toothache or something. Oh, I don't like suffering. He said, I suffered a lot the first 10 years. He said, at times I had no food. I was beaten three times by the RSS. I was put in jail in Kudalore for preaching the gospel. But he said, in 1986, I went to our church planting school. I was trained how to do effective evangelism and discipling. And now 35 years later, he has trained 290 church planters who have each started a church in four districts of Tamil Nadu. That's 290 churches that have been started in 35 years under this one church planter with 8,000 baptized. That gives you an idea of what can happen.
So I am thrilled that you're sending forth, whoops, wrong way I turned it, that you're sending forth 12 church planters who are right now working. And so I'm going to present two prayer, prayer plaques, Eric, to the church in behalf of GTI Hope, the pictures of your 12 church planters, their names. These are for you to be praying for them. Anytime you see this plaque, you're reminded, they tell us, they can tell when people are praying because they are on the cutting edge. They're on the front lines in our behalf. And so we'll share these plaques with you and thank you for making it possible. We'll be sure to put them somewhere prominent downstairs. We've got a lot of, if you walk through our hallway downstairs in our Sunday school room, we've got a lot of our missionaries and, and, and work, you know, down along the hallway. So we'll make sure we put those before, you know, down the hallway so people can be reminded of those as they walk through. So thank you for that. You talked a little bit about, now one of the things um, we, we say here at NC4 is that we're a relational church. And so could you talk a little bit about your, first of all, your relationship with GTI Ope, how that began? You gave us a little bit of the history there, but then also how you kind of came connected maybe with the McCungy campus initially. Okay. My dad had his own business and he made deliveries to laboratories. And he went to this one laboratory and a fellow said to him, well, they got to know each other. They said, have you ever studied the Bible? And dad said, well, I go to church. See, we were in the country, really country, and the church they went to didn't even a full-time pastor. And so dad said, no, we've never really studied the Bible. And this fellow said, his name was Bob Brown. He said, well, I'd be willing to come to your home for the Bible study on film strip. It'd just take an hour. If you like it, I'll come back. If you don't like it, I won't come back. And my dad said, well, I have to ask my mom. She said, yes. I was 16 years old at the time. And I was home that Friday night when Bob Brown came. We never let him out of the house until after midnight. He came for 21 Friday nights. We studied angels, heaven, hell, the second coming of Christ. He made the Bible come alive. Because of that, my parents became Christians. I have the hope of seeing them in heaven in the future. I was 16. Two years after that, when I was 18, I got a Bible study film strip, and there were four homes on our road that never went to church. I got into three of them with a film strip Bible study. Just, I became Bob Brown. And then I started going to others, and I felt led to go into ministry. I thought I was going to be a pastor. And so this one church hired me full-time just to teach their people how to do home Bible studies in the homes of non-Christians. And I remember I got one for every night of the week, and that got full, so I went to lunchtime. And I, that's just what I love doing. So to answer your question, when I discovered this strategy of India, it, it was ordinary believers going to the homes of non-Christians and teaching the Bible. That's what the, it's the heart of it. And so what it's really, God has done with me to make a long, long, long story short, is he's put me in a position where I can have a part in raising up hundreds of Bob Browns who work in villages of India. And then, and then how, how did the relationship with Mukunji uh, Church start? I don't actually remember. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I always worked with one pastor led me to another, so there's some pastor that gave me Doug. Yep. Doug, yeah, yeah, excellent. 
Well, good. And and I know they supported you for years and everything, yeah. too. And then, you know, this has been the great thing as we merged campuses, you know, we inherited each other's yep. uh, support and, and we've learned and grown from it as well. When, when, when you think of GTIO and its relationship in India, what has made, you know, when we're looking at all of the numbers here, that's pretty impressive in terms of what we're sowing into and, and really and how, you know, the kingdom's being built. What has made this ministry so effective? I would say a couple of things. One is the Word of God is central in all of our ministries. With the literacy program, first book they ever get is a Bible. With the church planning program, the church planners go to the homes and they, they give out a gospel of John. They try to get somebody in each home to start reading the Bible. Then they start little disciple groups and it goes from there. With the vacation Bible school, the kids learn Bible songs, they sing, memorize Bible verses. So the Bible is at the heart of our program. I think a second thing is that the work is done through the local indigenous churches. And you just can't beat locally owned. And I think Bill Scott, the missionary, he was always, his great added humility. He was the most humble man I've ever met. And he could have had all these church planters under our authority because we got to make things done right. He said, no, he said, the most effective way is to let them be under the authority of local churches. And then they go from there. And you see what's been great is these church planters we train are not supported. So they are tent makers for a while. They teach tithing real fast to the new churches. But thirdly, that mother church isn't going to let their daughter church die. And so they will come in partnership with them many times and help them. So I think the word of God through the local church is really two key factors. And I think it's been near and dear to her. We have a, a missionary who is in um, Peru. And, and one of the, the things we really focus on this last year is really looking at how can we better support the indigenous work, you know. And essentially, she's trying to work herself out of a job because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking to provide, you know, the opportunity for that training to raise the local church up and really to be self-sustaining. And so that's near and dear to our hearts. So thank you for that. Kind of a, a broad question here, but what, what do you think the church in America can learn from the, the church in India? I think don't depart from the Bible. <laughs> I think we're having trouble in our denominations and a lot of our churches and our culture because the Bible isn't being taught and followed. It's just that are you committed to what the Word of God says? And none of us are perfect. We all fail. But are you committed to what the Bible teaches? I think churches have to get back to teaching the Bible and then standing by it. Amen. Great. When we think of this project and the three-year strategy, now we, we, we looked at this as a dollar-a-day project for a year, and we kind of committed to that for a year. And, you know, it's been obviously great in terms of praying, you know, really turn our, 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 you know, the prayer efforts, you know, every single day as well as them being able to give financially. At this point, where are we and what more can we do in terms of really sowing into this? I think there's still some funding left to finish out the underwriting of the three years, yep. so they can, you can finish that. Yep. And a lot of churches that we work with, they'll do a special project with us, and then when they see the results, they want to continue to work with us. So simply by means of the budget, 
churches frequently include us. Yeah. Now, I know that's one of the things, too. When we look at the three-year strategy, we gave a dollar-a-day project in the efforts to work towards funding a full three-year strategy. And I think we are, we are close. We've not reached that effort. So I would say, yes, financially, we'd love to see that you know, response. We saw the dollar-a-day project open on the Push Bay app, and so that's a good way to give and t- continue, especially if I know some people had committed financially might not have seen that through over the last year. So now's a good chance to do that. And those who might have had their hearts stirred a little bit more based on what Bill's sharing has that opportunity. So I always think of that that's great with the finances, but is there more we can do to stay in tune with what's happening? With, with well, I think we will provide you with detailed reports like you'll get now and with the church planners and then the third year to really communicate what is happening with me not being here. I think that's really important that you all really see the fruits of your giving and your prayers and to really be praying. I mean, I know people say pray, but there's just how I, I believe we are living and fighting against principalities and powers that work against the truth of God. And when we pray for people, I believe that releases a power that overcomes the force of evil and they can succeed. And so really praying for them is, is vitally important. That's great. And I think it's one of the things we can do is continue to provide those updates. But you also have a chance as individuals to really, I think they can go into the GTI Hope website and then also sign up for the newsletter there. Yeah, if anybody wants to sign up, we actually have a story of the month, which I think is really good, which is quite informative of what's happening in India, various ministries and so forth that we're involved in. So if they wanted to give your email address and sign up for the story of the month, that would be a way in get communication. Yeah, I found this pretty powerful. For those people that did sign up for the project, we provided our monthly updates and prayer points out of those newsletters. So those points were taken each month directly from those. And so if you're interested, you know, they give some of those facts. And then those story of the months, yeah, you know, you're, you're re- learning about real people, the real stories, real testimonies in terms of what he's doing in their lives. And as well as really learning a lot of important information about things like literacy in India and, and, and whatnot. So it's a great place to go for more information as well. And so we'll stay in prayer, obviously, through that, and then obviously be in touch. We've, we've developed a great relationship over the years. I, th- I think I told the story before when Bill first came, and we, my code wasn't working to get in the church at McCungie. So he was nice enough to sit on in, in, the, in the cemetery there. We found a piece of stone and just sat down and, and had our meeting in the cemetery and with no complaint. And so that said a lot about Bill there. And we're both diehard Phillies fans, which last night was worked in our favor. So, yeah. I would say this, too. You know, part of the heart is obviously we want to see Jesus known, you know. And obviously that's the heart of all of the work. But one of the things we also have really wanted to do is how do we raise up, you know, those specifically who are exploring this call of missions on their life. Would you have any advice through your years of of ministry and whatnot that, that you could offer to someone who might be kind of pursuing or at least exploring that call? I absolutely would. Do the next thing that God is leading you to do. When Bob Brown came to our home, it worked so much, I wanted to be a Bob Brown, and I just did that. I wasn't thinking about India. India is the last place in the world I was thinking about. I just did the next thing. And I've, I've found that God really works progressively in our lives. 
And I don't think you'd say, oh, I'm here and today I'm going to work for India. I think God will lead each one of our lives as we are obedient to the next step. So be obedient to the next step, no matter how small or what it is. God will build upon that and lead you to the place where he wants you to be. I mean, I never dreamed I'd be doing this all these years. (laughs) Amen. And the great thing is, is as we do that, we do encourage people to actually, you know, begin to explore that through short-term trips and that thing. And that was one thing I wanted to mention, too. Through GTI Hope, if someone's really interested in this work, do they provide, are there trips that, where you can kind of go see this work? We do. We, we make a trip available every year to anybody who wants to go. To really, if you want to see an unreached people group, I mean, we've got to go one that's reachable, but close or the church planning, or the literacy classes, or the VBS, anybody who wants to go can. And I've been in this a long time. We used to have a group go about 20. Now we're down to five, five at a time, because politically things are very challenging in India. We really have to stay low-key. Yeah. I've, I've noticed the same thing, trying to take people into the jungles of Peru. <laughs> There's not always a lot of people eager to sign up for some of those things. But I will say that it takes a real calling. And if you are feeling stirred and called to do that, you know, that is something we would love to pursue with you as a leadership here at New Covenant. We're in contact with Bill. That is something you could always reach out to us and let us explore that with you and together. Because this is all about relationship we are in this together, and that will, will continue. Um, yeah, if you want to go on vacation, don't go to India. But if you really want to see the Spirit of God working, and, and I, there's the commitment of the Indian Christians makes us look like we're playing games. It just, it's inspiring. It's encouraging. Amen. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you for all the work you've done through the organization and really helping us so into that as well. It's an honor and a privilege to be part of that. So thank you. I just want to say to you, none of this is made up. This particular unreached people group is being reached today because you have stepped forward and made this ministry happen. And it says churches come forward and are willing to do projects, put us in their budget, whatever. We can do the next unreached people groups. That's how it happens. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.